Welcome to Composer Talk. I'm your host, Matthew Wong. As a film and TV composer, I love talking to others about their backgrounds, composition techniques, music tech, and more. We all watch films, TV, and digital media and know the important role that scoring plays in storytelling. I want to invite you to join me on this adventure to learn more about the artists who are behind the scenes creating the music. If you want to learn more about the people interviewed on this podcast, make sure to follow us on our socials. And if you enjoy Composer Talk, please take the time to rate and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your preferred listening site is. Our next guest is an amazing composer and a really lovely guy. Uh, hailing from Aguadilla, Puerto Rico, he had a chance encounter with legendary film and TV composer Blake Neely that led to a three-year assistantship in L.A. He's the composer on over 60 independent projects, including our hashtag Day and The Time Capsule. He also has a new album coming out called If We Seek With Intent that has a lot of amazing synthy textures and I'm excited to talk about it with him. And the composer is Rene G. Boschio. Thank you for having me. How have you been, man? Good. You know, uh, it's been lots of ups and downs in the past couple of months due to the whole worldwide thing that's going on. Um, but yeah, fortunately for the last month or two, I'd say just right after I finished the EP, things got busy. So yeah, I feel like there was there was a lull there that actually allowed me to, you know, work on the EP, which I had been wanting to do for years. Um, and then, yeah, then things just picked up. So doing good nice how about you i've been doing pretty well i just want to say all those like synth videos and things you post on social media is really uh get me inspired thank you you. yeah no they're fun i mean they're also somewhat a distraction sometimes in that like i'll be working most of them are from from score stuff that i'm working on and then i'm like patching it up and then i make sure to always record it for the score first and then i waste like 20 minutes recording a little video for instagram or something like that and it's like no i need to get back but they're, I feel like they're always useful, especially when it comes to like the whole social media thing. Like anytime I post a video, usually like you get a few more followers or like you get new people like commenting and liking on your stuff. So it's, it keeps the engagement moving because obviously I can't post too much about like the projects I am working on. So instead of just having my social media be dead for like two or three months at a time, I'll just post these snippets to kind of keep things flowing. Right. And when did you like initially get into like synthesizers or was there like a specific song you remember hearing or there was No, so so I feel like I've always kind of um I had always been into synth plugins, you know, um mm-hmm. from like Omnisphere to all the Yuhi stuff and and that kind of stuff, but I had never really taken the time to learn synthesis. It was always just kind of like load a preset tweak a few things without really knowing what they were doing, just trying to figure out how to get the sound I was hearing. But then I I knew I kind of always, I always knew I wanted to really get into like hardware synthesizers. So I was in the middle of scoring a project called 30 Miles From Nowhere. And um, I was just like wanting something different for it. So I just went out and got a, a a Moog Mother 32, which was my first like hardware synth. And I ended up using it on that score a whole bunch. And then that was kind of like my gateway into this whole like semi-modular, modular world. And then for the next project I had after that, um, it was a very interesting action horror 2D animated movie uh, called To Your Last Death. And I had been really, uh, around that time, I kind of learned about Folk Tech, which is this company that 
Um, I learned that uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross used a lot during like uh, Gone Girl or or Social Network, I think maybe, but I know for sure Gone Girl. I saw a couple of videos on YouTube and then I got very interested in this particular instrument called the mescaline. Um, so I was on YouTube looking at all these videos and I ended up um, buying one. So like from, from a Mother 32 to a mescaline, it's like, you know, a crazy jump where like, it was kind of like alien technology for me. And so unfortunately the project had to cut their scoring deadline in half. And so I wasn't really going to be able to do all the programming myself that I wanted to do with, with the mescaline in particular. And so I ended up hiring the guy whose videos I was inspired from to buy the mescaline. Um, and it's this awesome dude in Australia. His name's Adam Ritchie. And, uh, he did a lot of the synth programming and, and like he made a bunch of like sample loops um, for me with that instrument for the project. And he also used a lot of modular gear. So he would send me a bunch of pictures from his Eurorack stuff and things like that while we were working on the movie. And I was like, man, you're, you're going to like kill me with all these pictures. And so once that project ended, um, I decided like, okay, I'm going for it. And so I started buying, you know, I bought a Eurorack case and then I started loading it up and that was about two and a half years ago. And yeah, it, it, ever since then, it's like any time after a project, like instead of spending money on plugins or stuff like that, I would just buy one module at a time, one module at a time. Um, and it's kind of, you know, it's grown where now I have like, I feel like a collection that kind of satisfies and covers all my bases when it comes to my needs and scoring and that kind of stuff. I think more than satisfies. <laughs> so many sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's, I feel like they each have their own thing, you know, and their own particular sound, which I find useful for different things, you know, and of course you can, if you had just the one synth, then you could definitely like get all the sounds you wanted if you spent a million hours with it. But as you know, we don't, always have a million hours with it. So I need stuff that specifically is made for that, you know, right. So that I can get that sound I'm after quickly. For sure. I mean, I love how you like a lot of the sound design stuff you do, not always, but the, the aggressive qualities and like, especially like the first track you have out uh, on your EP mm -hmm. right now, it's so mm -hmm. cool. And out of curiosity, do you think like a lot of those tendencies, like sound choice wise come from like listening to punk rock as a kid? Probably. I mean, I was, this is funny. I was actually, so, I mean, yes and no, maybe. I mean, I feel like the, the stuff that's more kind of on the edgy side for me, um, comes from my interpretation of unsettling and uncomfortable emotions that I'm trying to communicate. Um, so that's what that kind of stuff sounds like for me in my head. It's just kind of like gritty and distorted and that kind of stuff. Um, and I mean, yes, you're right that I did, I did grow up like playing punk rock and playing in bands and like screamo and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, it's funny cause right now I'm working on a score that is actually meant to be very trap influenced, which is very unlike anything I've done before. And so I've been listening to all these artists that I, they're very popular artists, but I'm very out of touch with like top 20, top 50 global kind of stuff. So I've been doing some research lately and I came across Post Malone, which is obviously like super popular, um, but I had never really heard his stuff. And so I started listening to it and I was like, this dude sounds like if 
Blink-182 was doing trap, you know? Like, there's a lot of stuff that I was like, or if the used was doing trap, you know? And I was like, this is so cool. And and I just feel like we're at a point where, you know, the people our age who kind of grew up with that kind of music in their, in their teens and stuff are now making their own music in contemporary genres, but like either consciously or unconsciously bringing all these punk rock and emo influences into modern music, even scoring kind of stuff. So I always find it kind of cool. And I know like, you know, Chris Leonard's also like uses a lot of like punk rock kind of stuff and, and like stuff he did with the boys and stuff like, you know, so yeah, it's, it's just fun. For sure. I'm excited for you to start listening to Little Peep then soon, if that's the new vibe you're chasing. Yeah, I have no idea who that is, but sure, I'll check him out. <laughs> like I said, I'm so out of touch with that with that whole like hip-hop and, and trap genre, but um, I've been listening to it a lot these past couple of weeks just so that I can... You know, just so that it can sound genuine when I'm like producing the score and not making beats that are so 2018. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, so, I mean, I guess that's kind of the nice thing about having all those uh, synths and modules and things there too is that it's never going to sound really dated in a way. It's not like you're using presets of things that have already been heard. Right, right. And so, you know, something that I often say is that, you know, with modular stuff, you don't really have presets to come kind of like to come save you you know so you kind of have to like be very intentional about what you're trying to get and and oftentimes it can be it can be like incredibly inspiring but it can also be like incredibly like writer's block ish you know because you're sitting there in front of this whole system that you know it's making a lot of sound internally but you have to get it out you know you have to start patching for that sound to start going out and so what I'll often do is if I'm in a rush and I need inspiration is I will load like virtual instruments that will have presets, you know, and then I'll find a preset that I kind of like, but then I'll go try to do something similar on the modular. And because it's already going to sound different, you know, no matter where the inspiration came from, you know, and I find myself doing that quite a bit. And I'm always like, because the modular will always take you a route where you weren't really expecting So I find that to be like a good starting point when I'm like in a rush. Mm -hmm. Um, So I want to ask about, so you went to the Puerto Rico Conservatory of Music and is that where you met Blake or there was a workshop going on? Okay. Yeah. So I grew up in Puerto Rico and so um, the music conservatory was kind of like the, really the only accessible music program in Puerto Rico where I could do composition Mm -hmm. and it wasn't film scoring. I was just doing regular like bachelors and classical composition. Um, And then on my own time, I would do film scoring projects, but the administration knew that I was very interested in film scoring. So after I had graduated, it was like that semester right after I graduated um, that Blake came with BMI with Ray and uh, the rep in Puerto Rico and the administration called me up and they were like, hey, this film composer from Hollywood is coming to do a workshop and we know you're into that kind of stuff. So you should come check it out if you want. And I was like, all right, cool. And so I went and it was a two-day workshop. And uh, he 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 kind of like gave us a rundown of what a day in the life looks like for a film composer in Hollywood. And I was completely oblivious to the fact that composers even had teams, you know, at that point. You know, because nobody had taught me anything in that regard. And 
all I was doing was just listening to soundtracks and then scoring student films. And so I was just excited to meet somebody from Hollywood and, and kind of like hopefully show him a bit of my work and hear some feedback or that kind of stuff, you know. And then as part of the workshop, it was a two-day thing. So overnight he gave us some homework. So he gave us a couple of scenes to just choose and score. And um, he ended up liking what I did, I guess, enough to <laughs> ultimately end up, you know, flying me out for an internship and then um, offering me an assistant position over the, course, over the course of several months of communication back and forward. But, um, you know, that's the short version of how it played out. But yeah, and then, you know, changed my life forever. So I'm really grateful for him. Right. Yeah, that must have been exciting. Like, I mean, I know you said you'd been doing some films before that, like while you were studying, but were your production shops like up there or were you learning while on the job? Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess they they must have been somewhere in the good enough vicinity for him to feel like he could hire me, you know? Um, but it wasn't like I started writing additional music right away. Obviously, like I, you know, first probably half a year to a year was just like running errands and like prepping sessions for studios, like, you know, recording sessions and and doing all the tech work of like whatever went wrong, you know, fixing that stuff and cataloging music on iTunes, you know, and then slowly it evolved to um, retemping scenes to then like grabbing cues that would work and arranging them so that they fit perfectly to the new scene and then eventually like, oh, write a little transition here or that kind of stuff, you know, and then ultimately probably about two years in or so like that, then it was like, all right, you take this scene, you take that scene, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, so I mean, yeah, big. I definitely learned a whole lot about production and like getting it up to par to TV standards um, during that first year or so that I was mostly just like doing MIDI mock-ups or arranging and that kind of stuff by like seeing what he would do in the session and kind of like mimicking that when the time came to do it myself. Were there any like specific like tricks or just like little things you noticed in terms of how maybe like efficiency of writing? Cause he does take on so many projects. I almost wonder how it's finishes. crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and I mean, in, in sort of any production tips, I probably wouldn't feel comfortable sharing, you know, just because. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I don't know how he writes that much music because um, he, he writes a lot of, you know, he's not like the mother composers that just kind of like hand it out and do their thing. But he, he writes a lot of it. And um, I remember you know, on, on perspective, there's a lot of posts of like, oh, how much music should I be writing a day and whatnot? And usually people say like, oh, three, five, 10 minutes, whatever. And so I remember he would always joke like, oh, so what are you doing after lunch? You know? Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's, he's super fast. Yeah. So yeah, how's, uh, or was it like a big move for you to like kind of go off and do your own like independent composer thing? Yeah, it was, it was, it was risky in in the in the sense that like you know there's no there's no net of like oh i have a steady job kind of thing um but i you know i had just gotten married a few months before that and uh i kind of needed uh to establish like a solid foundation for my family life and 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 you know 
because there was so much work going on in his studio, you know, days were pretty brutal in terms of the hours and the, the time commitment that, that I had to be there. Um, and I felt like that probably wasn't the best way to start a marriage where I was only coming home for dinner and then going back, you know, to the studio. And, and so, yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of risky. It is, you know, especially in the decision of like, well, I mean, I can always try to, you know, eventually work for somebody else, but I just kind of decided to stick to my guns of like, no, I, I kind of want to do my own thing. And it was also like a creative decision as well, you know, where I feel like as additional writers, you're always intentionally trying to sound like the composer that you're, you've been hired by, you know, which is, um, a great school, especially when, when you're starting out and, and like, like you're saying, picking up all these production tricks that you can later apply to your own music. But from an artistic standpoint, um, you know, I felt like if I wanted to write the music that I wanted to be writing, I kind of had to do it on my own. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I obviously couldn't just bring my, you know, not sound like the composers I'm hired to sound like. So that was another big part of like, you know, trying to figure out what do I sound like when I'm hired for projects on my own? Because for a little while there, it was kind of like I would be working on my own projects and it was like, no, but this sounds like Blake, you know, <laughs> like I can't, I, I need to sound like me. And so it was, you know, and I'm sure like everybody kind of goes through that sort of stuff when you're writing for other people for, for a long period of time. It just kind of like becomes part of your writing unconsciously. So it took some conscious effort to step away a little bit from that, you know, and there's still things that I do that I'm sure, you know, even he probably picked up from people he wrote for and those people pick, you know, things that translate across generations, so to speak, of like playing techniques and stuff like that. But yeah. Yeah, it's funny after some additional music gigs here and there, there was like certain chord progressions I can't touch anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because they just they just immediately sound like that person to you and you're like, no, I I, I can't. <laughs> right. But yeah, man, I mean it seems like you've been killing it since uh, I mean I think I only met you like last year, but it seems like yeah. you do a pretty good job of staying busy and that's not easy, you know? Yeah. Well, it's just I just kind of feel this pressure on my shoulders of like you know it's my only source of income so i mm -hmm. i have to be i have to work you know i have to find gigs and so um i'm usually trying to book stuff like a couple months in advance and you know unfortunately with our industry things are always getting shuffled around in terms of schedules so more often than not i find myself scoring three projects at the same time when i didn't really want to be doing that you know and they were all scheduled perfectly like okay two months with this one two months with that one and then suddenly boom all three at the same time um but you know fortunately that's allowed me to like hire other people too on my own projects and kind of like you know if i need if i get if it happens where a few projects land at the same time i have like a few friends that I can call and be like, Hey, can you help me out with a few cues on this project and whatnot? So I feel like I always have Blake always kind of instilled in me this thing of like paying it forward and like bringing people up and, and like giving them opportunities the same way that you were given these opportunities. So I always try to keep that in mind instead of like forcing myself to only sleep like four hours a day, you know, I'd rather like, spend a little bit of the budget and, and hire people to also give them opportunities and stuff like that. For sure. Yeah. I think it's just a good thing to, um, 
or yeah, when you, when one gives back in that way, then when they have an opportunity, they'll try to give back to the up and comers too. Yeah. And yeah. Just creates a nice yeah. I don't know, community. Yeah, no, for sure. It's fun. It's, and it's good to have people that you can trust too. in, in the sense that, you know, their writing chops are up to par, you know, with, with your standards and with the filmmakers standards, um, of what they're expecting. So. Mm. All right. Anyways, I guess we should go on to, uh, the EP cause, uh, Man, very excited for it. <laughs> Thank you. So, I mean, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but do you think that yeah. this wouldn't have been possible without just the uncomfortable feelings that 2020 has brought upon everyone? Absolutely. I mean, like I said, I, 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 got, I started getting into modular about two and a half years ago. And since day one, I've been like, man, I want to I wanna write an album that's mostly focused on me messing around with this gear and not having to limit myself with whatever picture is requiring of me, you know, but like, you know, like you said, like I tend to not have any lulls in my work because I very intentionally try to keep myself busy. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's sort of worked out in a way where the two projects I'm scoring now were scheduled for the summer. Um, but like I said, you know, because everything, sometimes things just get delayed. Um, they kept getting pushed back, um, you know, because of the pandemic and in editing and all that stuff. So then I kind of had the whole summer where it was pretty bare work-wise. The only thing I was doing was um, some sound design work for a virtual instrument company. Um where I like, you know, I, I created all the samples for an upcoming plugin that they're releasing. Um, but you know, that wasn't really keeping me super busy. So I still had time. Um, and I was like, all right, well, I guess now is as good a time as any to just kind of f focus on, you know, writing this EP that I've been wanting to write for a long time. And I set out to make it like a full length album. Um, but the work came in about halfway through. So it was like, all right, I guess we're going to cut it short and call it an EP. And so that's when I decided to write the last track, which is notably much longer than the others. Um, and, you know, I did it so intentionally so that it could feel like it was wrapping up um, the EP, so to speak. Amazing. And is there any like type of uh, coherent storyline or... I don't know, with the tracks play out that you could talk about? So it's it, it kind of like finds its way as it goes. Um, but mostly the tracks were composed independently um, and they were all inspired. There, I guess there's two things really. One is that initial interaction with the modular system of like what it would sort of like spit out to me, you know, when I would try to start patching from scratch. And... Then I also had a folder of images that I collect. Um, you know, when I'm scrolling on Instagram, I'll usually like save images that inspire me. I don't know if it's from scoring, but like I'm very visually inspired. So I had this folder of different photographers or artists that that I really liked. And so I would I would listen to, you know, the first couple of bars of whatever I had done with the Eurorack and try to see which of the pictures in that folder kind of like went with the vibe of what I was already doing. And so when I would connect a picture to, you know, say a loop or a texture that I had done on the modular, 
then I would kind of like develop a story in my head based on that picture and kind of like write my own little film in my head, I guess. And so then I would produce the rest of the track trying to tell that story that I imagined from the picture from the patch. <laughs> That's amazing because I guess there's a lot of information that a, a, a modular synth especially can feed to you and just like that can inspire. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I mean, you know, initially they all came about from jams, essentially. Um, but then the giving it form and giving it an actual storyline, because I am a very, like, the way I compose it, I always have to be telling a story. I'm not very good at just writing music, you know, without any sort of story behind it. Mm -hmm. So that's where the pictures really helped me kind of, like, inspire um what that story would be. Gotcha. Cool. Well, I think uh, without further ado, I want to go to the last segment for the podcast, a segment called Tech Talk, where I list off a tech topic and you say as much or as little as you want about it. Okay. Synth edition today, I think. Well, the first one we've got here is uh, Moog One. Moog One. Yes. Um, man, the Moog One is amazing. I I bought it and I was only able to afford it because Sweetwater had this super sweet um, special financing for 48 months. So, you know, um, it's in that way, it was like very affordable. <laughs> um, but uh, it's it's amazing. It, it can really do pretty much anything you throw at it. Um, the only thing I find that it needs a little help with is in that sort of like gritty kind of texture stuff, but there's nothing decapitator can't bring to what I need, you know? Um, so when I find myself needing any kind of like extra grit, I'll just, like I said, throw a little decapitator on it and then it's, it's done. Um, but it's super versatile. Um, actually one of the tracks in my EP, I completely wrote with the Moog one, um, as the main sound source, you know, I did drums with it. I did bass lines with it. I did pads with it. I did arpeggios. So cool. Um, hey, what track is that? Yeah. It's called Lady Fuchsia. Um, it's track number three, yeah. Cool. Well, uh, next we have the Buchla, the Easel Command. Is that what you have? Yes, yeah, the Easel Command. I was waiting for it for so long. Um, Looks so great. So, yeah, and that was, I blame Arturia, man, because their plugin is so good. And once I started playing the plugin, I was like, I kind of need to get my hands on this. And so then I saw they were doing the Easel Command, which was a little more, modernized in terms of the technology and, and compatibility with like DAWs and connection and that kind of stuff. So I went with that instead of a regular music easel. Um, but yeah, I also wrote a few tracks, like the opening track of the EP is all Buchla, um, all easel command too. Um, so I, you know, I, I kind of gravitate towards self-contained systems, so to speak, where like the Moog one, I feel like it's self-contained. The easel command is kind of like self-contained. And then, you know, the Eurorack in itself is also like a self-contained gigantic thing. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I, I, I like just kind of focusing my intention on one thing at a time like that. Cool. Uh, next is the Profit Rev 2. Man, I miss it. I sold it oh, you did. and I miss I didn't it. Know that. Yeah. I sold it to finance the Buchla ah, um, okay. during my process of, of financing the Buchla. I ended up selling the profit after I had gone the Moog one. And um, because I thought, well, I don't need two polyphonic synthesizers. Um, 
but sometimes you do, <laughs> you know, um, they're just very different sounds. And, um, while, while if you tweak it enough, you can sort of get the Moog one sounding like a Rev 2. I don't know about like a Profit Profit or like an Oberheim or anything like that. But, um, sometimes I just, I just miss having that on my desktop because that's the other thing about the Moog one is that it's so bulky that you know, it can't be on my desk. So if I want to use the Moog one, I have to get up from my desk, go to it, fire it up, wait for it to warm up, um, and then start programming, you know, whereas with the Prophet, it was just kind of like always sitting there and I could just tweak a couple knobs and then get a great sound from it. So, yeah. Gotcha. Uh, I mean, the last one I have here is modular, but we've talked about that so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, man. I don't know. Modular is... It was definitely a game changer for me um, from a composing standpoint and from a creative standpoint in general, just because it, from a creative standpoint, it kind of forced me to be very intentional about what I wanted to do. And just, I like I said, I used to rely a lot on presets and I the mod, that doesn't exist with the modular, you know? So now it forces me to think about what I want to do and then go and sculpt it out as opposed to just kind of like, oh, let me see if what preset I find to go here, you know, and, and letting the plugins write the music for me, so to speak. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's obviously a lot more time consuming, but I feel like it's very rewarding. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, you killed it here with Tech Talk. Um, so I guess last <laughs> thing is... Uh, yeah, if we seek with intent, you can listen to it on Spotify, iTunes, and all that. But on Bandcamp, you have some extra things. That, right, yeah. yeah. So on Bandcamp, um, well, it's out October 2nd. I don't know when this will be up. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, yeah, so on Bandcamp, you get a PDF booklet that I put together with a bunch of like uh, behind the scenes, so to speak, of like what went into each track and what inspired it and what influenced and what techniques I used in terms of the synthesis and that kind of stuff. So obviously you can't get that on Spotify or anything like that. But um, yeah, it'll be streamable wherever things stream. And yeah, on Bandcamp if you want to support. Amazing. Well, Renee, it was such a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this was fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Composer Talk. If you like what we're doing, feel free to follow us on Instagram or Facebook. The show is mixed and sounds great thanks to the incredible Eric Bard, who's also a talented composer, producer, and mixer. Until next time, this has been Matthew Wong. Matthew Wong